Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. She was a single mother, but her son was growing pot in the backyard. And I didn't know this until my gardener called us and uh, called me and said, well, I just wanted to know if you're intentionally growing pot in your backyard. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no but help yourself to some. I'm sure <laughs> they're good quality. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with commercial property speaker, Helen Tarrant. Follow her journey from a hardworking upbringing to the heartbreaking theft of her startup business to her first investment on the Central Coast. You'll uncover how a law degree helped her recover from real-life crisis like tenants growing marijuana in the backyard. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Tarrant's specialty is in commercial property and education. My name is Helen Tarrant. And uh, what I do is I am a commercial property speaker. So I teach people on commercial property, on how to invest in commercial property, the strategies behind commercial property and how they can accelerate and grow their portfolio through investing in two to three properties in commercial property. So that means that um, instead of buying 10 properties, you can just need to buy two or three properties and retire on passive income. In any given day, she's constantly mentoring students and reviewing property deals for them. So, in every given day, what I do is I, at the moment, help and coach and mentor my students to make sure they're following the right strategies to get to their, to grow their portfolio, right? So, to make sure they've got the foundation properties in there that allows them to buy the next property and the one after. But apart from that, I also look at deals. So, I look at property deals that come through my way from the different agents and other people out there who are looking at deals on my behalf and on behalf of my students. I analyze them. I go back to the um, the, the agents or the people who are bringing me these deals and telling them how else we can tweak and structure the deal so that it becomes a better deal so that I can then take that better deal to my community. Born overseas, Tarrant came to Australia with her family at a young age as they searched for a new life. I was born in Beijing, so I speak Mandarin and I came out to Australia at the age of seven and my mother was 35 and she had $70 on on her and we started out life in the Western Sydney in Cabramatta and living with my uncle 
and uh, growing up, I moved all around Sydney and I moved schools nine times and eventually ended up on the North Shore. Wow, nine times. I, yeah, that, that, that absolutely. Is, yeah, I was going to say, I have never heard that before. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> when you said move nine times, you changed schools nine times as well too? Um, in fact, we probably moved more than nine times. I changed schools nine times. Um, so when we were growing up, my parents were migrant parents. Uh, my mother manufactured clothing, so we were a really pro sweatshop because she had um, three industrial machines at home and would all get on the machines and sew on these machines to meet deadlines. Like she'd be paid like $2 to show a shirt that would go into Myers and be sold for $150. Um, and um, sometimes there's, you know, 250 orders or 500 orders and we just need to get through them. And and then I would go to school and when and then realise that at a very young age I needed to start working to support my family. With a strong influence from her parents' traditional Asian values, she chose to study law at the university while working as a beauty salon. Being Asian, you have only five professions that's allowed that, that you can enter. Um, <laughs> and, and I remember that um, even though my parents could not actually uh, pronounce what degree they wanted me to do or tell me, but they, um, my father told me a story. He said, one day I was on the train. He says, I got on the train today. And I had a really proud moment when an Asian girl about your age walked onto the train and she was carrying this pile of law books. So I said to dad, I said, oh, well, I guess I'm going to law school. <laughs> so I ended up going to law school because um, I went to, I got into commerce at Macquarie Uni and I asked around, what is the best degree an Asian child can do to make your parents proud? And everyone says, you have to do com law. So I decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to transfer and do com law. Wow. And what year was that roughly? Wow. <laughs> that's going back a bit. Um, I was the class of, when I graduated, the year was 1998. So it would have been just right after that, 1999 or 2000, I would have gone to uni. Um, I started off as commerce and a couple of years later, I transferred into um, a law degree, doing a business and law degree. Business and law. So, how long was that degree for? It was a five-year full-time but it ended up taking me seven years to do it because while I was doing that, I had a beauty therapy salon. So, I had a beauty salon. So, because my mother um, believed that um, in Australia, in order to survive, you have to have a profession and a trade. So, why have two kids when you can put all your hopes and dreams onto one and she can fulfill <laughs> both of them uh, while I was at law school because then I thought I could implement some of the business principles um, into, into, the, um, into my salon and I realized though so that if I was not really going to learn the trade, it was really hard to be as a backup source to my staff and, and, um, and other people in the business. So I learned the, to do beauty. So I got qualified doing beauty around the salon. I grew the salon all while I was at law school. Taryn's powerful work ethic spurred her to manage all this and more, starting her beauty business and then even expanding on it. Back then, I was 23 when I started the salon. Yeah. And um, the salon cost 25000 To I took over from a lady that... Um, was leaving to go uh, interstate, like she was moving to Queensland and because her boyfriend decided to go there for work. So she was selling out her salon. So, and I had no idea about the actual um, running of a business. So all I did was ask her to hire me someone 
because business was self was had a, a clientele already uh, was to hire someone um, to be able to help with the business to be able to do the, the the work you know so I could work on the business yes and so that was the initial start of it and from there um, I learned it I did beauty I built my own clientele built up the business uh, and then expanded into another store and then another market store. So we ended up in the space of a couple of years doing two stores and a market store, except I was like working like seven days a week and like 20 hours a day. Even before then, she had experience working after school. I started work when I was 16 or 14 and nine months to be, but um, 16 when you can start with the um, hospitality industry. So before then, when you're 14 and nine months, although you can legally work, I started working in the library. So doing just a few hours a week. Um, and then when I was 16, I ended up working at a, at an um, Italian restaurant that was on my way home from school. So the bus that was – I only worked there because the bus stop stopped right outside and there was a, a higher, you know, <laughs> a sign there. So I decided to go in there and apply for a job. So I could, you know, go, go to work literally after school and then just bus at home. Despite the long hours and the intense work, Tarrant learned a lot from her working and studying life that would see her through to future success. I guess the thing is your first year when you're in your own business, uh, you always felt you was drowning. I always felt I was constantly drowning. I always thought, oh my God, I've got to get a hold of like on top of this stuff and how to do it and how to manage the business but how to also implement all the different strategies to grow it and everything as well. But um, the other thing was you got really good with timing. The one thing I got good was time management and becoming super efficient to do things. Um, and I also learned through law school was that um, a system, like if you knew how to do something and you could apply a system, you could always pass your exams. And so that's how I passed law school was that I never really had enough time to research and do essays and I knew everyone else would do better than me at essays, but I always banked that I would do better than them at an exam because I had a system to apply during the exam. After three years of managing her salon business, she decided it was time for a break. This then led to an unexpected change. I started to hire some more staff and started to grow. And for the first time in so many years, I decided to take a holiday. And I, um, there was a manager in place and I actually left the business for a month. And when I came back, she actually ended up taking my entire business. Oh, okay. No, that's not good. So, yeah. So from there, I kind of made a decision that I was either going to continue on and build a successful business or I was going to close shop and never try again. So, well, I decided that, you know, that's I was going to keep trying because I just couldn't give up. There's something about me that I just couldn't give up. Um, and so, but it, what it required me was to actually take that last year of law school off. So I couldn't finish my law degree, which is why it took seven years, because in the middle I had to take a year off. Um, and I had to tell my father, which was one of the hardest things I had to do, was to tell him that I couldn't finish law school because I had to go and save my business. And um, my father said to me that he would regret it for the rest of his life if I didn't finish law school. Nothing like Asian parents who can put those guilt trips on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so – um. So I did. I spent a year rebuilding my business. I sold off the other two subsidiary businesses that I had and I concentrated on building my primary business and you know, brought it back up to the same level and more actually within 12 months um, and, and went back to law school. 
to okay. finish the degree. <laughs> wow. So, at that point in time, it was kind of like a, a big turning point for you. Did, was there any way you could actually, um, I guess, take legal action against the person who stole your business? Well, not really because the thing is, while you, while you could, I mean, it's the customer's decision if they decide to go. Oh, with yeah. them. Mm. And at the end of the day, I didn't realize until afterwards I started rebuilding and some of the customers started coming back. They were sort of like she told them that the business was closing down. So all these things didn't find out till afterwards. Um, so um, you really had to just believe in yourself and overcome that yeah. and continue to grow. Although Tarrant now specializes in commercial property, it didn't start out in that area. Jumping into purchasing residential property in her mid-20s, she looked in several places for the cash flow to sustain her. So like anyone in my mid-20s, I bought a residential property. I think I was about 26 when I bought my residential property. Um, so that was um, just on 10 years ago. Yeah. So there, um, I bought my first property I couldn't afford to buy in Sydney or probably more stupid of me was that I didn't want to buy in Western Sydney at the time um, because I was thinking, oh, I probably didn't want to live there myself um and i couldn't i didn't feel comfortable investing in there so i thought well maybe you know i should invest um like out of sydney because what i was really looking for was um cash flow and where i was looking at all these properties that were good and there were cheap properties in, in western sydney i just thought that it was only one tenant in there and um, there wasn't going to be enough to really cover all my repayments. And I just wanted to make sure that my property was self-sustaining from day one. Being a beauty therapist and working for yourself, you realize that if something did happen to you, you wouldn't have that income. Yeah. So for me, cash flow has always been a really, really important um, like concept. Yeah. It's more than growth has been. So, um, so that I guess I walked away from it going, okay, well, I've now got a due occupancy property and I wanted to buy out of Sydney. So I thought I'll get, I'll buy on the central coast. And the one thing that I want, what did Sydney people always want? They want a view. Mm. So I wanted water views and I want due occupancy, which is where I bought on the central coast. Um, and I ended up with a property that has water views and it is um, um, due occupancy. It is an old rundown property, probably the worst property on the street. I had such a bad building report that even my solicitor told me that I have to walk away from it. Gosh. Um, but I guess I was – I thought, well, I can't afford to do anything to this property now. But over time, I will be able to and this area will grow. But the main thing is I have two proper uh, tenants uh, with upstairs and downstairs and separated meters. Then she found another great opportunity in a regional area which provided her with the cash flow she was looking for. I looked at um, – cash flow and looked at what else I could buy in terms of this this concept of cash flow. So when you after you buy your first property, I stopped for a while for um, about probably about three years or so because I was um, uh, I was putting money into the property. I did some refurbishments to the property. I had some bad tenants during that time. So it's almost like you learn everything about the property after you own it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I looked at other ways. I was looking at sort of ways of getting what else cash flow is there? Um, where else can you get cash flow? And I would attend some of these um, seminars to find out about different strategies people were, were utilizing. Um and then I thought, well, the only way when I looked around was to um, to actually go regional, regional um, to buy to buy property in regional that was high yielding. 
So that gave you cash flow immediately. So that's where my next property was. It was still residential, but I was was following the cash pretty much. Um, And it was in Armadale. So in New South Wales, where uh, UNE, University of New England is. And the reason for that was um, after I finished my law degree um, and um, moved on and and got got into a training college and taught the Diploma of Beauty Therapy on my own uh, registered training organization, um, I I decided I was going to do something for myself. I was actually going to learn and study something that I actually wanted, and that was psychology because I felt like all the time while I was in the in a beauty therapy situation, I was doing counseling anyway half the time. <laughs> so what I happens? figured, like, you know, if all those clinic hours could be counted, I would have had a degree anyway. Yeah, yeah, very smart. So I decided like, I was going to go and – um, attempt to do a psychology degree and um, UNE offered a very flexible degree so um, but it did require me to go out there once in a while so I would go out to Armadale and um, and stay there for a few days and what else do you do you'd walk around if you're passionate about property everywhere you look you look at potential deals mm. so I walked around and looked at property um, ended up buying a property in Armadale and, and then ended up buying another one in Armadale. Ah, <laughs> so, okay. So I bought two in a very short space of time. Yeah. Um, and they were very, very cheap properties. So they were $180,000 and 175000 So very cheap. Um, and the $185,000 property was had a rental income of $330 a week. Um, and the one seventy-five dollars had $275 a week in rent. Oh, great. So, they pretty much cover themselves quite easily. Cover themselves and gave me some cash flow. So, that was um, – so, I thought, well, this is really great because, um, you know, it's an area that I'm comfortable with, I know enough about and, um, and um, yeah. So, that was sort of my, my residential journey up until that point. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Tarrant's journey as she began to invest in commercial property. And so I started to look into it further and really realized that there was this cash flow component that the property was was sustaining itself. Find out her worst investing moment. In terms of some of bad investment decisions or horror stories, the only one I really think of was in my residential where the um, my tenant uh, took me a long, long time, took me about six months to actually evict her. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Looking at buying property in 2018, would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your copy today. Taryn's foray into commercial property happened in 2012 after the effects of the GFC had hit residential property. She realized that going commercial was the best way for her to attain cash flow. This time in 2012 was a was a, a unique time in the market. Um, we'd just gone through the GFC in 2008 and pretty much in 2009, 2010, residential property was hit really badly. Um, but that flow-on effect didn't affect commercial property till about 2012. 
So it was a delayed effect. Um, so things, um, buyers were sort of almost drying up in the market and not many people actually understood commercial. Uh, and I, But I was looking at the people that owned this type of property or the, the, the investors that would invest in this type of property. And they all happen to be your doctors, your lawyers, your accountants, the people who started out owning their own properties, like their own premise that they work out of. And then they would go and buy maybe the one next door, or the one in the building next to it um, and so on and so forth. And I thought, well, I mean, why would they choose to invest in something like that? They would be classified as what we would call your high net worth individuals. And um, and so I started to look into it further and really realised that there was this um, cash flow component that the property was was sustaining itself, um, plus that um, the tenants in there they understood mostly of all was that the type of tenant that were going to be in there, which is similar to them. They were going to be renting their properties out to accountants and lawyers and professionals who will be there for a long time. So then it meant that we had that stability because the one thing I didn't get with my residential property was that my tenant will move in 12 months and then I had to re-tenant, I had to clean, I had to do minor refurbs now and then. And I realized that they didn't have to do that with commercial, that you give someone an office space, they partition it, they do everything, the tenant comes in, the tenant stays for uh, 5, 10, 20 years, some of them. And um, and then when they come back, they when they give it back to you, they give it back to you back to the normal state you gave it to them. So you get to start again. So they take care of themselves. Um, and then I also realised there was this cash flow. So then I start to understand that what um, if I was really looking for cash flow and serious amounts of cash flow, then commercial property is really the way to get into it. The problem is that um, the commercial property industry is a bit of a secret industry. <laughs> it's like if you don't ask, you don't get and if you don't um, own commercial property, people are not going to talk about it. When she first began investing in the commercial side of property, she bought a great premises near the CBD for $360,000 with a yield of 8.6%. I bought a restaurant um, premise in North Sydney. So um, I think like everyone, you first start out investing in anything, you want somewhere to be local to you. Um, so we bought a property that was about 55 square meters in North Sydney on Mount Street and uh, it was a Japanese restaurant. It was in a strip of other shops. So it had a cafe, I think a bookshop. It was near the Old Porto and Audi there and it only does a lunch trade. It only serves the office workers there and we was for 360000 and the net yield on it was 8.6%. Mm, okay, that's pretty good. In 2012, you couldn't buy a one-bedroom apartment with 360000 Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> um, okay, but that, that's the thing with commercial. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, commercial doesn't really get as much capital growth as resident, residential properties do, do they? Uh, it depends on actually where you buy it. And that's this is the other myth that's in the market is that commercial property capital growth is so mis- often misunderstood and not talked about. Uh, but just to give you some examples of it, it's like, um, and I know this is very much Sydney-based because I am in Sydney and for listeners out there who are not in Sydney, um, unfortunately, I don't have an example to give them that's in different states at the moment. But um, somewhere like in in Bella Vista here, though, they had those little warehouse spaces um, in 2012 where they had their business park. Um, those were, they were struggling to sell them at 500000 dollars per today those properties are worth 1.5 million this is driven by factors like supply and demand 
there's a couple of things that 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 drives commercial property growth. It's that um, as the area gentrifies and more people move into the area, the developers are going to go and build a residential development over a commercial development because they only build commercial developments where there is a demand. And if there's no demand, it doesn't make sense to build a commercial development. So what you would have in an area like that is that there's more pressure on people wanting to be in that area people want to work in the local area and therefore you have very little vacancies and so as if it's more people coming to the area the property value actually goes up. There have been several moments throughout Taryn's journey where she has learned from some unsavory situations like tenants growing marijuana in the backyard. In terms of I guess um, some of bad investment decisions or horror stories the only one I really think of was in my residential where the um my tenant uh, took me a long, long time. It took me about six months to actually evict her, and I had a real problems with um, uh, with her as a, she was a single mother, but her son was growing pot in the backyard, Ooh. my backyard. So, and I didn't know this until my gardener called us and uh, called me and said, "Well, I just wanted to know if you're intentionally growing pot in your backyard." <laughs> I was like, "No, oh, no, so. but help yourself to some. I'm sure <laughs> they're good quality." This event turned an investment property into an expensive process that cost her thousands of dollars. This was my first. This was first the property in Corleone, which is near West Gosford. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was it. Was a, um, a real issue trying to evict that tenant. Uh, so we had to go through all the tribunals um, and um, and yeah, and, and go through that whole process, and it was expensive. And afterwards, I basically had about about twelve thousand dollars in repairs to do on the property with no landlord's insurance to fall back on. Tarrant learned a very important lesson. I just basically thought, oh, well, look, you know, at the time, I, they were all good tenants up till the end. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so that was a mistake you learned. You know, you don't have those insurances. Yeah, um, okay. You need to put those insurances in place. And yeah, so that was one of the lessons I learned in, in residential. Yeah. And um, as far as commercial goes, um, I think that so far I haven't had any major, major issues in a commercial property journey. And when I say our, I mean my husband and I. Um, but we've certainly had times where our tenants don't adhere to the lease. They try to vary the lease and I think they, they try uh, to test where you are in this, um, how flexible you are. The most amazing aha moment for her was when she discovered the power of commercial property investing when cash flow was direct debited into her account each month. I think my biggest story was the the first commercial property purchase because for me, uh, there were so many unknowns and so many pieces that hadn't fallen into place. But all I did was I knew that on a gut feeling that that property was going to work. But more than anything else was the aha moment came after you buy the property because I had almost done it knowing only partially the fact. So I knew the rent. I knew who my tenants were. I knew the lease. Um, I obviously looked at the contract, but I didn't know what the future was going to hold for me. I didn't know whether the tenant was going to do the five years or whether they were going to just get up and leave in two years. Um, to the best of my guesstimate, I knew you know, that what could turn out. But buying that property and then realizing that it's so much easier, that, the, that you don't actually have any issues with the tenant. The tenant just goes about their business. They direct deposit the money into your account every month. Uh, you send them an invoice, you pay the bank, and then you've got this cash flow to keep. 
that you don't have to budget that, you know, you might get an expensive strata this month or that you have to set aside because you have to pay rates. To know that's real, that money. That was the, the thing is, I think in terms of really setting yourself free in the mindset and everything else, it's like for me, um, we can get revved up about potential as much as we like. But for me, I need to see some evidence. And having that cold, hard cash at the end of the day in your bank account was the moment that you go, wow, it's actually a lot easier than what people make it out to be. As a commercial investor, Taryn also finds it handy to have property managers to take care of her properties that are further out of reach. We definitely have um, property managers. Most of them, if they're outside of Sydney, we, we get others to manage it for us because it's just too hard for us in terms of location and distance. So it is pretty. It is it is common to have a property manager for commercial properties as well. It is, and um, it just depends on the type of property. So if you have a couple of different tenants and you have a multiple tenants, then you want someone else to manage that property for you. But if you've only got one tenant in there and the tenants paying all the outgoings and all you have to do is send them an invoice a month, you can do it yourself. And she's a seasoned property investor now with around twenty commercial properties in her portfolio. We have now close to probably 20 commercial properties. I, I know, but it's probably more than that. But I, because last, just last year alone, we bought uh, about eight commercial properties. Wow. Okay. So we went tend to go through this frenzy where we buy, buy, buy. And then we're now in this phase where we're not buying for yeah. the next six to nine months because we're fixing up. We've got projects on these properties. Yeah. So we've leveraged. Now we're just fixing up. Um, we're retenanting. We're doing all that refurbishments. Her personal preference for commercial real estate is based on two reasons, low maintenance work and great returns. Who can argue with that? A lot of it is to do with it being a very a lot easier to run and a lot of it is to do with that it, in the long term, the tenant's there for the long term and that they're going to be taking care of the property. So in, in a sense, then we don't have to worry whether the tenant's going to trash the property or not. So, inspired by Taryn's journey and her amazing aha moment, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode on Property Investory where we'll talk about the strategy she uses to build her portfolio. So, all the commercial properties, you can get up to five years interest only uh, depending on the type of property. Uh, so, we would go with an interest only loan uh, it's because then we've got the cash flow to be able to piggyback to buy the next property. The personal habits which have contributed to her success I think a habit of mine has just been don't overthink about things and just give things a go. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.